Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. You're listening to the Whedonverse Podcast. A retrospective, spoiler-free podcast where we discuss the movies, series, comics, and games created or inspired by Joss Whedon. With your hosts, Mr. Universe. Number five, do the dance of joy. And the clairvoyant. Well, you're right about this being a bad idea. Also brought to you by the Tangent Bound Network. This episode, we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 1, Episode 5, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, and Episode 6, The Pack, with special guest host, One Sick Puppy, from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast. The Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 5, Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. Written by Rob Deshotel and Dean Batali. Directed by David Seymour. Original air date, March 31st, 1997. Hello and welcome back to the Whedonverse Podcast. I am one of your hosts, The Clairvoyant, and I'm joined here with Mr. Universe. That's me, yeah, I'm here too. So today we are going to be discussing the episode Never Kill a Boy on the First Date, which is Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode... Five. Five. We're yeah. already on Episode 5. Yeah, and it's obviously a play on words, never kiss a boy on the first date, or even worse, never... a boy on the first date. But uh, <laughs> it's, it's supposed to be a pun, never kill a boy on the first date. Which is also very useful advice. Yeah, yeah, that is very... Uh, that's fair. I feel that that would definitely be a relationship ender. Um, <laughs> definitely, yeah. So uh, we jump right into this episode, which surprised me. There's no in every generation uh, monologue at the start. It just started. Uh, and so right away we get this ugly vamp face close-up, which a Buffy stunt double promptly fights, and then Buffy stakes it. With their one-liner, I'm Buffy, and you're history, and we're at Van <laughs> Death Count 1. Then Giles pops up from behind a tombstone and starts critiquing her slaying, as I suppose watchers are supposed to do. That is their job. Yeah. When they find some sort of ring uh, that the vampire seems to have left behind. Which yeah. I've always I've always wondered about that. Why some things, why plot-relevant things, vampires leave behind when they die, but all other clothing and jewelry, etc., disappears. Which seems like an absolute waste, honestly. Yeah, I wonder if we could get, like, a play-by-play -play slow motion. You can see while he's being staked, his hand flies back, the ring flies off his finger. Maybe. Like, what if we had a vamp that had, like, all, like... Gucci and Versace and like just the you know the best brands clothing and like just decked out with the most expensive jewelry and then Buffy staked them that what a waste like that's yeah and Buffy remarks I kill them you fence their stuff so Giles 
finds this ring and deduces somehow uh, that this may not have been a random slaying after all. Which mm-hmm. I'm not sure why he jumps to that conclusion, but he does. And spoilers, he's correct. Yeah, he says he must consult his books. And then we cut to the master opening a book, and that caught me off guard, because that's not, that's not Giles. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the master, he's reading an ancient prophecy to his minions. Uh, first thing I notice is we get like a close-up, like a, almost like a Les Miserables, like up-the-nose shot of his uh, gross bat nose. He also, um, some believe that him opening the book that way is actually a reference to the gatekeeper from Tales from the Crypt Keeper. Because that's the same way he opens it with all the dust popping up and stuff. Well, that could be. I do want to reiterate, I've said this in the past, I really like some of this set. It's it's gorgeous, half of it. <laughs> yeah. And then the rest looks like, you know, looks like construction paper or cardboard. And so he's, he reads the speech. He says, and there will be a time of crisis, of worlds hanging in the balance. Should I do the voice? Yeah, might as well. And in this time shall come the anointing. That sounds nothing like him. <laughs> dropping, the, dropping the voice. <laughs> the master's great warrior, and the slayer will not know him, will not stop him, and he will lead her into hell. As it is written, so it shall be. Five will die, and from their ashes the anointed one shall arise. The brethren of Aurelius, or Aurelius, Aurelius I believe? Aurelius, yeah shall greet him and usher him to the immortal destiny. So this is a pretty handy little speech here. First of all, I don't know what book he's reading or where he found it. He wrote it. He was down there a long time. <laughs> no, I feel it's written by Aurelius himself, and he's just Heinrich Nest. Um, but also we get the name of the cult that we've been observing, the Brethren of Aurelius. Yeah. Uh, also brothers. known as... Also known as, yeah, the Brothers or the Order of Aurelius. They use them pretty interchangeably. And so then uh, he starts going off on a tangent that I really doubt was written in his vamp Bible there. And then he beats up a vamp and talks about how important the Anointed One is. And one thing they found interesting is he closes the book and says, Here endeth the lesson. And... Uh, we've we've talked about this in the past, how vampires are, like, you know, so very against religion. But, like, Here Endeth the Lesson was something that was really common in Catholic Definitely. sermons yeah. up to, like, the, the 50s or so. And so it, it's weird they keep drawing all these comparisons between this vampire cult and Christianity because they hate it. <laughs> they cannot yeah. stand it. And back to the vamp, or the master punishing the vampire... He talks about how it does not say in the books that one will go out hunting and get himself killed, and he starts punishing this random vamp. But, but he was obviously wasn't the one that got himself killed. So I don't know why. Like, why not the other two that were there? Why this poor guy? What did he do? He's he's there. He showed up. You don't punish the guy that showed up to the meeting. <laughs> yeah, I think he just he had some aggressions he needed to take out. Then we go to our theme song. Yeah. And then Buffy, we added the theme, we got Buffy and Giles in the library trying to decipher the symbol on the ring. And it uh, happens a lot I, in this season, but Buffy figures it out when Giles can't. I actually wrote in my notes, Giles attempts to figure out the meaning of the ring without considering the fact that it may just be a random ring. Yeah. They find this ring and they're like, it means something. And so Buffy, you have no idea if that means something. But Buffy does discover that the ring contains a sun and a three stars, which is the symbol of the Order of Aurelius. Ar- 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 
the, really is. The cult. So uh, two points for the Slayer, while the Watcher is yet to score. And then a red... So, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, Pretty Boy Owen then comes into the library to get a book. Owen Thurman. Owen Thurman, who we never have seen before. Yeah. Uh, and him entering the library initially confuses a kind of hostile Giles. And so Buffy explains to him that students do come to the library when they need books. To which Giles exclaims that he thought that was a myth. And uh, Owen is here for an Emily Dickinson book. Uh, he keeps it as a security blanket, which I feel that was written in to make him feel sweet or sensitive. But it's just a little bit weird for a high school boy, for me. Like, it it's not doesn't make me feel like, oh, he's so much more adult. It's just a bit, you know, weird. One thing that I thought was strange about this scene is, I mean, we'll, of course, touch upon this much later down the line. In season four, there is a character, actually played by Pedro Pascal from uh, Game of Thrones, who also has a book that he keeps as a security blanket of human bondage. So, I mean, it's strange that you have two characters that have a book that, that they use as a security blanket, because that's really not a common thing that I've never seen anywhere else outside of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We'll have to keep an eye on that episode and see if it was written by Rob Hotel or Dean Batali. And so then Buffy and Owen awkwardly flirt. Uh, Giles remarks that Emily Dickinson is a pretty good poet for a girl American. Yeah. And uh, Buffy says, Emily Dickens, huh? She's great. Which uh, Owen says, Dickinson. She's like, well, she's good also. <laughs> good save, Buffy. Yeah, so Buffy... <laughs> what, what, what's her name? That's her full name. <laughs> yeah, Buffy's a nickname. Buffy Ann Summers. <laughs> Buffy, rather. We'll call her by her nickname. Buffy finally gets a date. <laughs> A sensitive hunk, Owen, starts showing an interest in her, which, of course, Giles is a little exaggerated about because all Buffy can think about is impressing Owen, and Giles is not, not interested in that aspect of Buffy's life. And there's a book in the background while Buffy and Owen are talking that says Death Bear, and that's so hardcore. I saw that, and I was trying to make out what the second word was. I was like, is that death bead? Death bean? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's in the poetry section, so I assume it's some sort of poetry. Yeah, and uh, Buffy says, well, I love books. I really love books. But then Owen's like, oh, what's this? And finds the the book on the Order of Aurelius. And Buffy's like, not this one. And Giles whisks it away. This one she doesn't love. <laughs> yeah. So then we are... With Willow and Buffy in the hallway, and Willow is talking about how exciting Owen is, that she's watched, she's clocked him brooding for 40 minutes straight. Yeah. And so uh, Buffy seems to have some sort of attraction to to broody, broody, dark, sullen guys at this point, because there's clearly this some sexual chemistry between her and Angel, and now she has a crush on Owen. And given this was pre-cell phone era, can you imagine Willow with a stopwatch in class just clocking Owen, watching him brood? <laughs> or look, glancing up at the clock. So then we sit down with Xander. Uh, they're eating green stuff. In the background, actually, the weird stoner guy from episode two is an extra in this scene. I got so excited. And we will see more of him next episode. Uh, but it, it's awesome that they keep using the same extras. 
and uh, yeah, they're eating green stuff, which they they make some remarks about. It. I don't remember them. And Xander loudly asks Buffy how the slaying went last night. <laughs> And so she calls him out on it, and he corrects it to, I meant the laying. No, I don't mean that either. <laughs> That's a funny line. And Owen's sitting alone. So Meanwhile. Buffy decides to go sit with him. On the just... way there, Cordelia just electric slides in and purposely bumps into Buffy. Bowls are over. Yeah. And that's and, a uh, floor death count one, because whatever was on Buffy's tray ate right through it. <laughs> and... Owen remarks, which I, I, you know, I was on the fence about Owen. I didn't care about him up until this point, but he said, "At least you don't have to eat your soylent green." And like, I'm sold. You're, I love you. Which is a reference to the film of the same name. Now, I didn't get that. I don't really like Owen much at all. Uh, it's, I feel like they really, really, really want you to like him. Want you to think, oh, he's so sweet. He's so sensitive, and they try too hard to make you like him. Well, I'm on Camp Owen so far because he made an excellent film reference. I just said Ain. Ain excellent film reference. <laughs> so, in the school cafeteria, Buffy's, uh, she's, you know, fight, kind of fighting with Cordy over Owen. Owen burns Cordelia pretty well and then asks Buffy out on a date to the bronze that very evening. And Bobby, when she agrees without looking, I laughed at this out loud. She's not looking. I don't know if it was on purpose. She sets her lunch tray right on top of Cordy's, which has food all over it, and just smushes it. And Buffy's <laughs> does not have food on it anymore. No. So uh, Willow later is convincing Buffy that it is a big deal. And so she asks Giles for confirmation, and he said, I'm afraid it's a very big deal. And wait, what are you talking about? The apocalypse, what are you talking about? Boys. <laughs> Which is the show in a nutshell. <laughs> so Giles has found out about the prophecy, of course, from the symbol on the ring they found. And he's convinced that the Anointed One will rise this very night. Uh... Which Buffy is not okay with. <laughs> well, she is at first. She's like, okay, tonight. Wait, no, not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> she She decides that the master, or rather the anointed one, should rise a different night. <laughs> but Giles' calculations are precise. But Buffy's got a date tonight, so she can't condone and it. So, despite Buffy's protesting, they spend hours and hours sitting in the graveyard waiting for a vampire to rise. Now, what is Buffy wearing in this scene? It I looks like... didn't notice. A leopard print fur coat snuggie. Oh, no, I did notice. I wrote that down. I put leopard print fuzzy hoodie. Yep. I don't know if I love it or hate it. I kind of hate it. But and, uh, uh, I like how to get to this scene, there's this badass buildup. Like, the dark forces are aligning against us. We have a chance to beat them back. Tonight, we go into battle, and music's building up, and then it just cuts to them slurping drinks in the cemetery, doing nothing. I like earlier, Buffy exclaims that Giles' calculations are bad calculations. Yeah. But, uh, so they wait and they wait, and of course, no vampires arise. And though Giles is certain that his calculations are correct, he decides that they should uh, call their little. Uh, I'm stealing this from the Wikipedia description. The stakeless stakeout quits. And uh, I like how Buffy says there aren't any fresh graves, so who's going to rise? And it's just a weird thought that Buffy has to keep extremely up to date on the Sunnydale obituaries. 
Yeah, that's yeah. You don't really think about that. And Giles tells her to go follow her hormones, <laughs> but to make sure that she doesn't, you know, that she's that she's careful. And she says, "Oh, don't worry. She won't wear her I'm a Slayer, ask me how button." Which I've never seen it, but I'm almost positive that button actually exists. Yeah, and she leaves her drink cup on the on the tomb like a litter bug. So, shame on you. You're supposed to be saving the world, Buffy. <laughs> yeah. So, on a bus, on the way to Sunnydale, a man who looks like a poor man's Jane from Firefly is talking about just judging, judging everything, as you know, a young Andrew J. Furchin looks on. You know, I have to cut you off. Since we don't know much about these characters, I decided to go ahead and give them uh, names and backstories. They so, have some of them do, but we don't know them yet. So right now, names and backstories. So on this bus, we've got Audra, who's a black working professional. She's uh, relocating uh, for a business trip. <laughs> Sitting a few seats behind her is Jillian and her young son, uh, Madagascar. And they're traveling for new beginnings from his abusive dad, who was an airplane pilot, which explains why he's playing with a toy airplane. The driver, Bill, only drives once every 10 years because he's an alcoholic. And, yeah, there's also uh, Religious Adam Baldwin in the background. That's his name. Religious Adam Baldwin. Who's Jane from Firefly? Now, uh, this, that little boy in the script's name is Colin. Not Madagascar. Madagascar. No, it's Madagascar. <laughs> and he mumbles out a line to Adam Baldwin with his model plane. I actually had to put on subtitles to see what he said. And he says, I went on a plane. I went on an airplane. <laughs> That's <laughs> exciting. Yeah, thank you, Madagascar. So, meanwhile, Buffy rushes to the bronze, only to see Owen dancing with Cordelia to three-day wheelie. Yeah. And crushed, she leaves without even attempting to make any communication with him. And I swear Amy Madison from Witch is in the background. That's possible. But yeah, Cordy's dancing with Owen. Buffy's pretty upset, even though she's had a crush on him for all of one episode. So she leaves. And back on the bus, Adam Baldwin's uh, spitting his religious poetry as he rambles up and down the aisles. Yeah. Uh, suddenly, a vampire walks in front of the bus, and the bus crashes. Now, imagine being that brave soul without a soul who has to <laughs> walk in front of the bus. Because you know, like, vampires... Aren't, he's not going to die from getting hit by a bus, but that is going to hurt a lot. I'll take bus duty. <laughs> so just having to stand in front of the bus and just take it like a man. Like a van. Uh, I think that guy, I mean, he's my hero. Yeah, and everyone's somehow okay. Like, nobody's, I mean, the bus driver's bleeding a little, but everybody's fine. Yeah, Even Audra, other... who can make her meeting in time. <laughs> so the other vampires start swarming the wreck, attacking the passengers, including Adam Baldwin, who... Who, up to this point, I thought, well, he might be the anointed. But, of course, since there's only five people on this bus, we don't know, are they all going to die? Is one going to become the anointed? Is the anointed a vampire? We don't know much about it. They told us the prophecy, but they were vague. Yeah. So Buffy and Xander talk about Buffy missing her date. Um... She harasses him, poor a stranger, as he walks past. It was unnecessary. <laughs> Nothing to see. Moving along. Uh, she's, she does, 
attempt to convince Xander that he's not just any guy. He's more Owen-y. And Xander does agree that he has a certain Owenosity. <laughs> now, Xander's shirt in this scene, I paused it a few times to try and make out what it was. It looks like colorful crop circles. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I made note of it. It does. And so, uh, also in this scene, I noticed that Xander's locker is really cool. It looks uh, like it's he, covered in thrash metal stickers. I know. I'd like to say I wish my, I, or I'd like to say that my locker was that cool in high school, but it was filled with old like soda cans and not much else. And his has like all these stickers, and uh, I mean, there's a poster for Devil's Night Cramps. I don't know that it said you know, at the top it said Devil's Night, and underneath it said the Cramps, and. <laughs> I, and I always thought Xander would be like the Blink-182 type, not like this, like, what looks like, I don't want him to say Slayer, <laughs> but he's really got all these, like, kind of heavy metal-looking posters and stickers, and not what I expected. Uh, Buffy's lame excuse for not going to the bronze is that her watch broke. So, uh, Owen asks Buffy out on another date, and even gives her a pocket watch so she doesn't miss it. His hipster-ass uh, pocket watch. Like, what the yeah. hell? He's a high school kid. Xander glances at his own Tweety watch. <laughs> See, that's radical. That's Happy Meal-esque. That's what I would rather have, not a well, pocket watch. So Buffy, of course, leaps at the opportunity, and Xander stews in his jealousy. Now, Owen then uh, he, he points out how to use the pocket watch to Buffy, and only Owen can make condescendingly teaching a 16-year-old how to read a clock, <laughs> kind of, like, flirty. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't like him. I can't put my finger on it, though. Something looks really different about Xander in this episode. I don't know if he lost weight or if he put on muscle or if he got a haircut, but something really looked different. I didn't notice any difference between Xander, or uh, rather with Xander. And Buffy hastily confirms with Giles in the library that no disasters will occur that night. And Giles exclaims that she is the strangest girl. Yeah, he kind of, she half asks, half tells him uh, that the apocalypse probably won't happen anytime soon, so it's cool if she goes out tonight. <laughs> Meanwhile, the master congratulates his minions on a job well done and talks about escaping his mystical prison. He <laughs> talks about the anointed with a mulleted vampire and then randomly catches a bug. Yeah, Okay, let's go into more detail. But yeah, uh, he talks about how he's been... Well, first off, he talks about how he's been trapped so long he's forgotten what it's like on the surface. That's not touching. That's, you know, ooh, I feel so bad for... No. And then I also notice the vampires that he's talking to bare their teeth the whole time. Like, what are you up to, extras? Because they... Oh, they can't... It's so smiley. <laughs> And, yeah, he quickly reaches for one of the vampires intimidatingly, but it's a pulls a bug off his know. shoulder. Don't know why. See, I'm going to stop now and say that while I do despise the Master as a character, um, I was thinking about it, and I don't think any other actor would be able to bring the charisma to the role no. than Mark did. Because this character is its so bland. He is such a bland, Xena-esque uh, fantasy villain, and the fact that he can make him feel kind of modern and like he actually fits in the show, you know, he's, his, his minions are more preachy and ohm than he is, like, yeah, and so I, I do appreciate what he brought to the role, 
Uh, I just don't like the role. <laughs> and this guy's their leader, though. Like, what is he doing with the bugs? And, uh... I don't know. With his bugs and there's something in your eye, and he's a weird, he's a weird man. <laughs> I guess he's he's probably bored. He's been there for a while. Back on the surface, Willow and Xander are helping Buffy pick out an outfit. But uh, Willow's pigtails and comic book panel skirt and Xander's ugly button-down crop circle shirt hardly makes them authorities on what outfit Buffy should wear. Yeah, and Xander proves this by choosing a giant coat and ski cap, which really, the ear flaps really bring out her eyes. Yeah, he's really trying to make her look unappealing and really trying to down her mood about the whole thing. Yeah, and so Buffy gets dressed while Xander attempts to spy on her. Yeah, what a pervert. <laughs> so, evening comes, the doorbell rings, Giles shows up at Buffy's house, Buffy says that Buffy's not home, and slams the door in his face. How does Giles but know not... her address, anyway? That's just weird. I imagine he could look it up pretty easily. Without not a computer? <laughs> I don't know. Probably in school records, I imagine. So Giles is waving a newspaper in her face that shows that five people died when the bus crashed. Among them, a suspected murderer, Andrew Borba, a.k.a. Adam Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. The man who was quoting the prophecies on the bus. Now, I thought it was says, a bus, but the headline says it's a van accident. Does it? Yes, it does. Why? Right, it's a bus. It's clearly not a van. It's not like these people were the So... Buffy says to Giles, why do you want to hurt me? And so then Buffy's and Giles kind of fight over this while Xander and Willow attempt to distract Owen, who has shown up. Yeah. Xander is trying his hardest to sabotage the date. And uh, Willow stops him. <laughs> Giles is using a cover, by the way. The, he's there for overdue library books. <laughs> and Owen's... He says that Giles really takes his job seriously. But Buffy has a great line in her argument with Job. Clark Kent has a job. I just want to go on a date. And that's very true. Yeah, yeah, I did like that. So uh, he says, if the apocalypse comes, just beat me. I feel like that line sums up the show in a nutshell. More so than some of the other ones that I, I say that a lot. Well, I feel like that one, you know, if the apocalypse comes, beat me. That just feels like so teenager saving the world. <laughs> And Xander does not trust Owen for some reason. <laughs> Neither do you, though. I, I, well, I trust him. I just don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> so Velvet Chain is playing at LeBron's, and Owen is talking with Buffy about poetry. Buffy actually has a pager, <laughs> yeah, which well, is the most 90s thing I can think of. Yeah. And Owen uh, talks about has he can't quite figure out Buffy as they dance. Says it's like there's two two people there, which means he's the closest to figuring out Buffy than anyone else because he seems to be onto her, her Slayer life, or at least suspects it. But he, he's talking about how much he loves death and morbidity and being alone, and it's like more important things in life than dating. And then he says, well, did I see something wrong? And Buffy's like upset by this. Like, well, what did you think? <laughs> But she says that he did not. She was just glancing at her pager. So Cordy shows up with her weird frizzy hair. It's crimped so badly. <laughs> and Owen shrugs her off immediately. Yeah, we're, we're here together. <laughs> Meanwhile, Giles is at a funeral home. The scene tries to be really eerie, and it's not. It's pretty decent cinematography. You know, for like 
you know, for TV horror in the 90s, I'd say it's pretty decent cinematography. <laughs> so Giles uh, is there to investigate the bodies, and vampires show up and start chasing him around. But so he's got a cross with them, so he wards them off. Uh, then we have a quick shot of Buffy and Owen back at the bronze for a short scene of absolutely no consequence before we go back to Giles at the funeral home. And it's such a dirty and unsanitary one, too. Like, that can't be regulation. But I guess it's the only one in Sunnydale, most likely. So, you know, they... I don't know. They must be understaffed. I bet their staff keeps dying. Yeah. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, so the vamps trap Giles in a room... But Xander and Willow have luckily followed him and uh, pop up at a window. And so they run to the bronze to get Buffy. Giles says, you can reach her on her beeping thing. (laughs) Yeah. So Cordy is judging Buffy at the bronze for throwing herself at a a guy. And then Angel walks in and she exclaims, hello, salty goodness. Which (laughs) I want to point out that this is actually... Not the last time Cordelia says this in reference to Angel. <laughs> Which is fantastic. And Cordelia's friend in this scene has literally rainbow pants. <laughs> and Cordelia just has the weirdest lines. Uh, someone call 911 because this boy isn't going to have any oxygen when I'm done with him or something like that. <laughs> and yeah, just... I think that's it. <laughs> it's <laughs> like, I don't know where she came up with these. <laughs> <laughs> so Angel talks to Buffy and Cordelia gets immediately confused and flustered that everyone is flocking to Buffy and Xander and Willow show up and everyone's just trying their hardest to interrupt Buffy's date at this point they're trying to pretend it's a double date and that they've been dating and um, uh I, I feel Willow was like loving that, that yeah pretending to date. Uh, bad hinting like the the acting is awful in the scene, but it's not Nikki Brendan and Ali Hannigan doing bad acting. It's Xander and Willow doing bad acting. Yeah, pretending to be on a double date, like, we should totally go to the funeral home. <laughs> and, which Owen thinks would be really fun, so that backfired immediately. Yeah. Who do you think would win in a brood-off? Angel or Owen? Angel. Are you sure? Like... Yes. I... Mm, yeah, I, I guess I'd agree if I had to pick. I think Angel could just keep doing it. And Owen, I think Angel would just end up sulking off. And See, Owen would be alone. I don't know. Take this the example where they're going to the funeral home. Owen is excited by the idea. If Angel was excited by the idea, he wouldn't show it. That's true. Owen's really pumped because he's weird. But Buffy tells him to stay back, promises she'll come back. She runs off frame and then runs back and kisses him. To which Owen exclaims, she's the strangest girl. Why? You barely know him. You barely at, know... You know, why'd you... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and we're at strangest girl count two for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, finally, Xander and Willow managed to get her to come to the funeral home. Uh, and she attempts to kind of dump Owen. Not break up with Owen, but leave him there. And she says, this, the other Buffy has something she needs to go do. And she goes, and he shows up. He comes along. <laughs> yeah. So they're exploring the funeral home. Giles slides out on a corpse. <laughs> yeah, he was straddling a body. It was so creepy. And he was in a freezer, too, with it. Like, whoa. I like how he slides out. 
just on his stomach. Doing a front stroke. Yeah. (laughs) Which just was weird. Uh, They they claim that the room is locked. Buffy says, no, it's not. Boom, breaks it open. And Owen is so tall. He's like a full head taller than Xander. Maybe head and a half. Like, he's not in high school. (laughs) So Buffy goes to the bathroom so she can check for vampires with Giles. Willow and Xander barricade the room with a lot of really soft things. Yeah, like a lampshade. <laughs> and a pillow. <laughs> now, they break into the office and the lights are already on. And then uh, that's when I noticed the lights are on in the whole building already. So I guess since it's got such a booming business in a place like Sunnydale, they can afford to waste electricity. That's yeah. my best guess. I suppose. Uh, Owen sees something. And then Buffy and Giles see nothing. Yep. And then we cut back to Owen seeing a dead body, saying he's never seen it up close. Is it supposed to be moving? And so uh, the sheet gets pulled off, and we see Andrew Borba, Adam Baldwin, rising as a vampire. By the way, everybody, this isn't actually Adam Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, we should probably make note of that. He kind of looks like Adam Baldwin, and I guess we both made that observation. It's not Adam Baldwin. That's our nickname for him. Just like Madagascar is not actually... Colin. Colin. You know, it's... That's he our looks... nickname for him. Yeah. So, uh, Borba rises as a vampire. Uh, I wrote the line, already starting to look better, and I don't know what that's in reference to. I don't know. Maybe it's part of his religious poem. He's reciting his religious poem again, I have been judged, as he smashes the glass with his face. <laughs> yeah. So then we have preachy overacting Borba. Calling everybody pork and beans. <laughs> yeah. And there are vamps just everywhere. Owen, surprisingly, holds his own kind of. Now I have to uh, say, just going back a little bit, given the real Adam Baldwin, this guy's not too far off. You know, he's he's reciting religious poems in a southern accent and shouting pork and beans. <laughs> that's that's not nice. <laughs> so Oh, and kind of holding his own in this fight uh, before getting knocked unconscious. Buffy angrily exclaims that Borba killed her date <laughs> and then slides him into a furnace. Yeah. Like, <laughs> she and, uses her uh, her berserker mode. <laughs> but I feel this scene was really tastefully shot because all these stunts were being done in the microist skirt. And you don't see anything. So, yeah. good job. It was a dress, was it not? Yeah, but it was really short. And that's Vamp Death 2. Uh, making yes. me wrong, because Jesse is not the only character to die twice in an episode. Oh, yeah. Um, Owen wakes up. Buffy thought he was dead, but he was not. Vamp Death, or Human Death minus one. Yeah. <laughs> and He wants to go to Ben and Jerry's. In his delirious state, he mentions how he was going to. They were going to, but now he doesn't want to. They convince him that they scared the vamp away. And then a concussed Owen decides to walk home. And, uh, and Bobby offers to walk him home. Uh, he says, no, we go alone. So Xander and Willow walk him home. Giles tries to say something, and Buffy just immediately, no, don't. She's peeved. So next morning... Buffy, Willow, and Xander are talking about 
getting Owen home safely, and I wasn't really paying attention to what else they're talking about, when Willow, while Willow drinks something red. And Xander drinks a juice box like an adult. And it plays a sad Kim Ritchie song and everything's sad. So, uh, they show up, Owen shows up, and he's actually extremely excited about what they were just through, and wants more. Yeah, when he realizes... can he see her again? Sorry? He asks when he can see her again. Oh, yes. And he exclaims that this is what he likes about Buffy. Uh, and <laughs> nearly almost... getting killed. Yeah, and it made him feel alive. <laughs> so she realizes there's no way she can have a relationship with him, because while Xander and Willow and Giles are careful, Owen is the kind of guy who wants to go and start a bar fight for no reason. <laughs> He's messed up. He's just looking for a thrill. And if you look in the background of this entire scene, there's some weird platinum blonde extra with an orange plaid blazer. And no matter what angle is shot, whether it's behind Buffy or behind Owen, she's there. Literally. She's <laughs> in like 15 places at once. Go back and rewatch it. It's just bizarre. That's excellent. And so Buffy realizes that Owen is going to get himself killed, and so with a heavy heart, uh, she she dumps Owen. Well, she I tries to be just. Well, no, they went on a date, yeah, but she count. shuts him down. Just friends, uh, which never works. <laughs> and then we never see or hear about Owen ever again. Yeah, Giles shows up. Uh, tells Buffy, you know, all about the time when he learned he was going to be a watcher and how he really just wanted to be a grocer. <laughs> yeah, 10-year-old Giles wanted to be a fighter pilot or possibly a grocer. I could see it. <laughs> I couldn't see the fighter pilot, but I could see a 10-year-old Giles wanting to be a grocer. Yeah. They have a small little heart-to-heart, and Giles admits that Buffy is doing pretty well. And, but they both agree that at least the Master is going to be pretty pissed off because the Anointed One was destroyed. And uh, also... I feel like Buffy turning Owen down shows some in- uncharacteristic responsibility on her part, and Giles going to the funeral home alone showed uncharacteristic irresponsibility. So it was kind of like this heart-to-heart was both of them saying, like, we messed up, we're out- or we were out of our element. <laughs> I yeah. Know. So, and then back in the Master's underground lair, Master repeats his big speech and is absolutely overjoyed as he welcomes the real Anointed One, Madagascar. not Borba. Not Borba, but, yeah, Madagascar. Colin, who will <laughs> now be name. known as... Is Madagascar, one. no. Madagascar is his name. And we're going to call him the Anointed One from here on out. And I feel like this plot twist... I feel like the introduction and the supposed death of the Anointed One wasn't made to be a very big deal. They weren't very clear about the prophecy, so it wasn't a, didn't feel like a big deal. And you didn't even, I didn't even realize that he was supposed to be the anointed one until Giles said, we killed the anointed one. I thought it was a pretty cool twist, though. But, so I, you know, I think it's cool that the little boy uh, from the Omen became the anointed one. (laughs) But I feel like they didn't ramp it up enough to carry any weight or surprise me. Yeah. And also Andrew J. Fershland, this little boy, uh, didn't go on to really do anything with his life ever again, so... Yeah, so we're at Vamp Death Count 2 for the episode, Human Death Count 5, because all five died on the bus, even Audra, who didn't make her meeting. So that's our, that's our death for this episode. And I, I would say that they did want to capitalize on the omen for this, but the original one was 20 years before this episode, and the, the remake was 10 years after, so I guess not. But it just that's the feeling I get from this boy. Yeah, 
I think they were just like going under the idea that kids are creepy. Yeah, well, but they <laughs> they messed up because most horror movies nowadays, I'd say not long after this episode aired, it began at least in America, is little girls are creepy. Yeah, because with you know movies like The Grudge, and The Ring, and you know so in Japan you know kids are creepy in general. You know the yeah. original the or Juan in Japan has a creepy little boy and a creepy little girl. This kid, um, I mean, but he likes airplanes. <laughs> His dad was an, uh, an abusive pilot. Supposedly, that's non-canon though. <laughs> that's that's fanon. That's Mr. Universe's fanon. It's headcanon. <laughs> so, we're at the time where we have to break out our stakes and toss them at this episode. So, how many stakes out of five would you say Never Kill a Boy on the First Date would receive? Mm, I'm going to go with two stakes because I feel it was not one of the worst episodes, but it was definitely one of the least memorable it wasn't executed fantastically and it was just kind of a forgettable generic mess so two out of five stakes for me for me i'm gonna say two and a half because it's a perfectly average episode um you know there's nothing terribly groundbreaking it does advance the plot because in the entire buffyverse there's only one episode that does not advance the plot, and we'll get to that once we get to Angel Season 5. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, every episode advances the plot in some small way, and so this does introduce the Anointed One, and, you know, we get the name of our cult here. And so I feel, you know, it, it, despite advancing the plot in its own ways and stuff, it's a perfectly average episode. There's nothing really special about it. Weedenverse podcast rating, 2.25 out of 5 stakes. If you like what you hear, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at at Whedoncast. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podcast, or review, rate, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The Whedonverse Podcast is brought to you by the HHW LOD Network. You can find them at hhwlod.com, on Twitter at hhwlod underscore network, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash hhwlod. The Tangent Bound Network can be found at tangentboundnetwork.com, on Twitter at tangentboundpc, and on Facebook at tangentboundnetwork. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 6, The Pack. Written by Matt Keane and Joe Rankemeyer. Directed by Bruce Seth Green. Original air date, April 7th, 1997. All right, welcome back to the second part of our... Oh, is it our fourth episode already? Yeah, our fourth episode, The Pack. Uh, and we're here with a special guest from another great podcast. We've got one sick puppy from the Dead as Hell podcast, the man who uh, mates with hyenas even though he's not possessed. 
You said you weren't going to mention that on the podcast. <laughs> well, uh, what? <laughs> so, one sec, puppy. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I listened to you guys' first episode, and I was really impressed. And I'm I'm just super stoked to uh, subscribe and follow this uh, all the way to the end. I think it's going to uh, deepen my understanding of the uh, Whedon verse as it is. Oops, uh, what's your favorite Whedonverse project? I know you haven't watched them all, but out of what you've seen, is Buffy your number one? Yeah, I gotta say Buffy. It it depends on which one I'm watching, though. If I'm uh if I'm in the, the complete run through of Angel, I might say Angel, but I, I end up going back to Buffy just because of uh Willow and Xander and you know, it's the I don't know. That's to me that's the most pure and I've seen uh I've seen pretty much everything he's done. I haven't seen Firefly all that much and uh, Serenity maybe once or twice, but uh, I try to keep up on everything he does. I haven't read all his comics, but I did uh, get into some of the Astonishing X-Men, and uh, that was pretty good stuff. Yeah, I think Buffy was actually based off of Shadowcat because that arc was all about her as well. She's one of his favorites, and I think, I believe it was written somewhere. I could be lying, but I think Buffy was somehow based off of Shadowcat. I, well, I know they both are definitely drawn from his love for strong female characters. Uh, and, well, not, I mean, he didn't write, he didn't create Shadowcat, but, uh, you know, his Kitty Pride, uh, definitely, I can see a lot of traits similar to some of his pro- protagonists in his shows, yeah. Right, so the pack, we, we kick off this episode at a zoo. Uh, some preppy kids pick on Buffy with absolutely no provocation at all. They just I, show up. I want to preface this episode uh, by saying, ah! I hate this episode. <laughs> you bad. and me both. Oh, oh my god. god. So we'll we'll start exploring the whys. Uh, yeah. Buffy is an ascot. There's number one. <laughs> uh, this scene was actually filmed at the Santa Ana Zoo. This whole every zoo part in this episode was actually filmed at a zoo. I don't know if they, you know, I know some of the animals are in the background. I'm not sure if they evacuated some or, you know, I didn't strategically shoot so you didn't get too many animal noises i'm not sure how they did that but it was filmed at a zoo i do want to explore the pack themselves of our bullies here uh spoilers the pack is in reference to this pack uh kyle dufour is the sort of the the leader is from once upon a time tor hauer uh these are the characters names by the way i don't know why they need full names but they have them tor hauer has just kind of done a, a lot of minor roles Heidi Berry is mostly known for General Hospital, and Rhonda Kelly isn't known for anything, but what interested me is the actress's name is Michael. <laughs> so that's a... Uh, that... Is that the brunette? Yeah, that's the brunette, the, with the short yeah, black she's, hair. She's kind of foxy in spite of how hateful she is. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she's actually a dude. Maybe. Oh, maybe. I'm okay maybe with we... that, she's still good looking. The 90s fashion in this episode, or this scene at least, maybe because there's such a high concentration of it, but it's just notably bad. Uh, and one sec, Poppy, did you dress that way back in the day? No, I was a nerd. I didn't have anything bordering on cool. So This was cool back in the day? I guess. I, all right. If I hated it, it must be cool, right? <laughs> yeah, we were, I mean, we we existed throughout the 90s, but we were too young to care what was cool everything was bright and colorful <laughs> it was it's a it's a little early in the episode to mention it but at no time in my life did i feel like i i had the testosterone level to wear a thumb ring so <laughs> well maybe you'll get there 
Maybe. That can be a life goal for you. It could. <laughs> I should have put that on my New Year's resolutions. So Willow and Xander show up, uh, inform Buffy that she missed the zebra's mating, which was like the Heimlich with stripes. And well, Buffy... wait a second, though. I, I, I got to mention, my sure. one of my favorite lines that I actually do like in this is, oh, look, it's Buffy and all her friends <laughs> as she's standing there by herself. And I hate these guys, but that is really a cool uh, slam on Buffy, I think. I just feel it was unprovoked. There was no reason that they said that. She was just kind of standing there. I mean, like I uh, speaking as someone who I, I didn't really get bullied. Um, I I, I kind of. I mean, it, every we, we're all nerds here. We're doing a Whedonverse podcast. I got bullied, but not really, <laughs> <laughs> not you know extremely. But I can't think of any high school bully or elementary school bully that just goes up to people unprovoked like this and just like like on also almost without. Uh, you know, there's no. It doesn't matter who they're bullying. They just want to bully. You know, they see someone and they just like, I want to make fun of them. And then they turn their sights to someone else. So I've never seen bullies quite like that, but they seem pretty common in in media. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Buffy feels pretty blah about this whole field trip until Xander points out that while they don't have to be in school, and I, that turns her right around on it. Meanwhile. Um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, meanwhile, Principal Flutie. Uh, shows up while the pack is bullying another kind of dorky looking kid. He's got an awful line. They say, well, the bully, Kyle, has an awful line. He says, is this a family reunion? And the awkward kid, Lance, says no. And he's like, I think it's family reunion. Was, <laughs> was that just poorly improvised? Because I, it really didn't fit. And it sounded kind of awkward. Yeah, there's several times in this episode that they get some really bad dialogue. <laughs> And, yeah, Principal Flutie breaks it up. He's had it up to here with you four, but he doesn't even gesture how high. So I think everybody's just phoning it in for this episode. Nobody really cared. I do like I his did line. like this. He comes off as such a badass there right at the beginning, though. Yeah. And I did like his line. Did I ask you to speak? I, I yeah. guess I did. <laughs> but uh, Lance tells Flutie, the kid being bullied, tells Flutie that nothing's going on in this street pack decides to adopt him into their gang for coming through for them and decide to take him to the hyena house even though it's off limits where he can get his colors yeah, <laughs> yeah he's, he's he's like bullying leftovers it's like we had a little bit we're gonna take you with us so in five minutes we can have some more yeah and kyle says well when they mention it's off limits kyle says therein lies the fun which is actually a shakespearean reference to hamlet because yeah. there's a line therein lies the rub yeah. yeah i saw that on the internet i feel like that's a bit of a stretch yeah, I, just, I don't know. But it's strange, though. That was the second time, as I looked that up, on, uh, as I was looking at the trivia for this episode, that's the second time this week I've had that exact line referenced. I was reading a book uh, that I had to... It, it didn't quite make sense to me, so I looked it up and found out it was Shakespeare. And then when I looked up the stuff for this episode, I saw it again, and I was like, holy crap, that's weird. It's one of those situations where you see something for the first time, and then it just starts popping up everywhere. Yeah. Buffy, Willow, and Xander catch the group sneaking into the closed hyena house, and Xander decides to take care of it himself, being the tough alpha male that Xander is. Of course. And the whole scene set to this really dumb jungle beat that I just, it, every time I hear it, it just makes my blood boil because I just remind, it reminds me of the plot of this episode. <laughs> and it's just this like, doom, 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 that's just throughout several scenes in this episode. And, uh, 
You just got to mark it up to season one, man. <laughs> I can't remember who composed this season. Walter Murphy. He's he's done. Well, I guess he was done after this season. Yeah. There's a reason for that. <laughs> but Will and Buffy decide to trek after Xander, uh, but they're stopped by a creepy zookeeper who tells them hyenas are very quick to prey on the weak. And I wish this wasn't foreshadowing. Uh, I knew a Walmart janitor who looked exactly like this guy. <laughs> That's not a word of a lie. Wow. And the zookeeper drops a bunch of not true hyena lore. <laughs> it feels really reminiscent to Teacher's Pet. I feel like the writers just copied down some high school textbooks <laughs> at the beginning of the season and interspersed it throughout the whole first season. Yeah, I was thinking about that, actually, and how all my least favorite episodes of season one feel like they're really bad biology lessons. And this is coming from a guy who, like, got, like, 98% in biology. And if these episodes aren't interesting me, you're not going to interest anyone. <laughs> well, this is back in the day before Wikipedia. So, <laughs> you know, you actually had to have a $1,000 set of encyclopedias or go to the library. So if Joss and his, his writing cohorts are sitting around, it's not like they had a ready reference on hyenas, so... I guess. But the thing he's actually talking about is the uh, Ethiopian legend of the Krakata, which has nothing really to do with hyenas except for the Latin name. I was going to say, I don't think Joss had anything to do with this episode in Teacher's Pet. At least that's how I sleep at night. (laughs) Uh, Um, So he he tells the story, and then we get a dumb flute sting, which is like this episode's version of the orchestra hit. So I go... (laughs) And uh, back in the hyena pit... Jungle Beat! There's a jungle beat again, and a really bad uh, animatronic robotic hyena head sticks out because they couldn't afford a whole body hyena. That wasn't real? I don't think it was real. Maybe it was. You know, I'd like to say no, I was, it wasn't. No, I was being sarcastic. Okay. I was, <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just trying to make you feel better <laughs> about not. The... I'm a better actor than some of these guys in the pack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they try to throw Lance in, but Xander breaks it up, and they're about to throw down. When the hyena's eyes glow and all theirs do too. Oh! <laughs> it's yeah, that, <laughs> as we get the explanation for what's actually going on in this episode, that makes no sense whatsoever. Um, this is uh, only the third time in this episode that I wrote DUMB in all caps. No, fourth. That I wrote <laughs> DUMB in all capitals. And we get a, we're only like a couple minutes in too. <laughs> we're not even at the theme song yet. <laughs> True. But we get a bird's eye angle showing that they're all standing on a tribal symbol in red paint, which maybe it's supposed to be blood, but it's too bright. It always reminds me of Spuds McKenzie. I don't know (laughs) if you guys are old enough to know who that is, but it was the Budweiser mascot pit bull, I think. And it just, for some reason, it's it's a cross between Spuds McKenzie and like a surfboard logo. (laughs) (laughs) And Lance trips on something on his radio escape and the pack... Begins laughing, almost like hyenas or something. Yeah. Yeah, except their laughs don't really sound like hyenas. They sound like monkeys to me. Yeah, yeah. they really do. Yeah, I agree. And we get title credits, and this is the first time a series regular that's in the title credits isn't actually in the episode because Charisma no, Carpenter is in it, but she's not in the episode. She gets paid to do nothing. And if yeah. I like, it's like if I was Charisma and reading the script for this episode. I'd be like, wow, this is a bad episode. And then I'd finish it. I'm like, oh, good. I'm not in it at all. And <laughs> yeah, she, it wouldn't she got really. Uh, I don't think she would fit into this episode because she is normally the, the bully character or whatever. And it would just. It, she wouldn't back down from these guys. So it would just be a, a 
constant one-up tension kind of I'm explaining it poorly, but you know what I'm saying. They just be constantly at each other, and it makes more sense that she's nowhere around. Yeah, they'd be a bully off. <laughs> yeah. But we cut to the bronze after the theme song where Willow and Buffy enter to the Dashboard Prophets. They discuss that Willow thinks Xander felt a little bit off, and Buffy just says, well, Willow's just watching Xander too closely. His heart rate is, or his blood pressure, rather, is 130 over 80. <laughs> and Willow admits, finally... In you know, in speech on her crush up to Xander, or crush on Xander, rather. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess she's never actually. It's strikingly obvious, but she's never actually said it at this point, out loud. And she's a little too too uh, smitten in this particular part to suit me. She's <laughs> seem, she seems like she's just really in love with Xander, and it's. For them to spend so much time around each other, I feel like even if you have a crush on somebody like that, even as a, a geek, you would still be a little more relaxed about it than that. Yeah. And well, she has she hides it so well the rest of the time, and when she's alone with Buffy, she just has to let it out. Maybe. That could be. But uh, Willow calls Buffy a meanwhile on her angel crush. He's and a honey. <laughs> and Xander shows hey, up. I, I say that now. I don't know. I I heard her say that, and I don't know if I picked that up from this show, but I I still say that. He's a honey. Not he, but yeah, I call chicks honeys. <laughs> I, I also like uh, Betty a lot. So, uh, but yeah, Xander shows up. He starts acting pretty weird, distant, eating Buffy's food, which she calls a buttery croissant. Now we're Canadian, so French is our second language here. It's croissant. It's not croissant. And that's well, she's what... from L.A. You know, they're pretentious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I went to Starbucks, got a croissant. <laughs> croissant. <laughs> you know, one Starbucks town like Sunnydale? <laughs> but uh, Xander's yeah. lines are the same here as they normally would be. Like, I feel they're written the same way, but the way he delivers them really changes the tone of everything. I felt, I wrote in this scene, Xander's really cool. <laughs> he's he's being not... a total asshat, but he's cool. Yeah, when she says, did I do something, and he's like, that's crazy talk, that kind of lets you know that Xander is still in there, Yeah. but the way he delivers the lines, it's like he's behind a partition, so to speak. Yeah. And I guess this is a good point, as any, to mention, I, my wife is a huge Buffy fan as well, and I was talking to her about this episode and, and how you guys roped me into doing one of my least favorites, and uh, <laughs> she mentioned purpose. to me something I didn't realize, that... Uh, Apparently, women think Xander's kind of hot in this episode. Really? That's... Yeah, she said, She said, you know, he's a dick and everything. Oh, sorry. Uh, he, he's got a, a bad attitude, but it's he's got that alpha male kind of thing going on, and it's, it's kind of attractive. Really? So I was unaware of that. So apparently, you know, this is one of the ladies' favorite episodes. Oh. <laughs> Um, now I noticed there's an excellent band at the bronze in the scene. I really enjoyed it, but I could not find for the life of me who was playing. Did any of you uh, happen to dig up in your studies what band this was? Because I really I enjoyed the music. It was either Dashboard Prophets or Sprung Monkey again, because they both played in this scene. I'm not sure, but the, the board on the bronze uh, outside says DJ Knight, no cover. Yeah. <laughs> That's not... <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Xander's acting pretty weird. He sniffs Buffy's hair, uh, tells her that she bathed, <laughs> and she bestows bathed? upon him uh, a weird behavior award. 
Yeah, I mean, who wouldn't sniff Buffy if they were standing right next to her? <laughs> What's that got to do with hyenas? <laughs> yeah. uh, Xander's eye catches the pack entering, and they entered Sprung Monkey, so that's like got to be one of Sunnydale's six bands, because this is probably the third episode that's played Sprung it Monkey. Is. It is the third episode, yes. And Buffy calls them winged monkeys, which is a, res- a reference to Wizard of Oz, which everybody should know by now. Not Jumanji. Yeah, but I, I doubly appreciate that because, like I say, especially when they're walking into the hyena area of the zoo, they're really acting like monkeys. It's like they're they're coked out. They've got short attention spans <laughs> and everything is catching their attention. And then, you know, they're before the hyenas stuff kicks in, they're they're really ape like. Yeah. So next time next time you watch it, just pay attention. They look like monkeys. Yeah. Um, the pack insults some overweight kid that's sitting in their spot. Xander's laughing at it, which really throws Buffy and Willow off. And Xander's response to it is, he's fat. You know that kid has a page on the Buffy the Vampire Slayer wiki? Does he have a name? No, he's unnamed kid, but he has a page. There's a picture of him and everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, at least they didn't call him unnamed fat kid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut to the library after this. Buffy's training by beating up a heavily padded Giles. Uh, no. This is the middle of the day, so people do use the library occasionally. I mean, we yeah, had Owen last episode. I did write, what if someone walked in? Because she's doing some pretty impressive stuff. What if you just walked in and saw this girl doing crazy martial arts kicks to the librarian? <laughs> but uh, Giles dismisses Buffy to class. And this scene, other than that, other than showing Buffy work out, doesn't really have a purpose. It doesn't show anything or prove anything. But Giles is great. Yeah. He uh, is all sore after he takes off his... Yeah. I'm reaching. There's little to like about this episode. (laughs) Um, Yeah, meanwhile we get a low shot of a creature sneaking through the school. It's very horror movie style. Did you get that feel on Sick Puppy being a horror movie podcaster? Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool, the the POV. And with you thinking of hyenas, you know, you wonder what's actually going on. But uh, we get Flutie chasing this POV creature, and Buffy catches it. It's the new school mascot, a little pig with tusks and a razorback and a helmet named Herbert. If you pay attention in the scene, uh, you can see what appears to be the doppelgangers of the entire cast of Whose Line Is It Anyway as extras in the background. I don't I think that was intentional. Notice. I don't think it was intentional at all, but like, oh, that's Ryan Stiles. Oh, that's Wayne Brady, but not. So. No, I didn't notice that. I did notice a couple of the chicks looked a little old to be in high school. <laughs> yeah. I think everyone looked a little old to be in high school. But uh, Flutie makes Buffy carry little Herbert back to the cage in the art room because I assume he's probably afraid of either pigs, germs, or the possibility of touching Buffy when he reaches for the pig. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing the character, that's just the feel I get from it. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, He's like, oh, we don't, don't go wanna... out for inappropriate touching. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but when he goes to take the uh, the costume off of Herbert in the scene just prior to that, it was like the Razorback was actually tied on with ribbon, and on this in this scene there is no ribbon; it's just sitting on his back. Yeah, yeah, I know. I didn't notice that actually, but. Uh... After that, we cut to the courtyard, actually, no Flutie, where Xander's frustrated with Willow about how he doesn't understand math, and he throws his textbook in the garbage, his notes at Willow, and storms off saying, forget it, I don't care. He's really, really angry at math. 
he's too bitchy. It's just it it goes too far. It's not. Uh, I don't think it's it fits in with the character he's supposed to be at this point. Hyenas are known to hate math, so. <laughs> oh, I didn't find that in my research. That makes sense now. But his uh, black outfit and his moody attitude really reminded me of the emo Tobey Maguire from the third Raimi Spider-Man film. <laughs> or was that the second one? I think it was the third. Which also sucks, by the way. So. Flutie mentions how things were better when he was young, and he also remarks how people said the same thing back then, too, which I was thinking that when I saw that scene. I was like, well, people probably always have said that since forever. Xander walks in uh, past Buffy, and little Herbie goes crazy. He loses it, little pig. Pigs? Where in any history can pigs sense possession? <laughs> Is this a thing? No, they're, sens- they're sensing hyena. They're sensing uh, the are- predator. But I don't think hyenas are a natural predator of pigs either. Well, later in gym class, gym teacher decides that it's time to play dodgeball because it's raining outside. Which... And because every high school show has a dodgeball scene. Right? Yeah, the coach in this one really reminds me of Xander for some reason. He's, he's like grown-up Xander. I can totally see him being a gym teacher. Real Xander or hyena Xander? Real Xander. <laughs> but this is another class that isn't science class, so I'm actually impressed because that's probably one of the first times in this season. <laughs> yeah, that we haven't seen science class. But uh, this dodgeball scene is needlessly long. And then it gets really weird and quiet. And there's horrible jungle music, and it's it's way too long. I don't know about you guys, but when, you know, dodgeball was, of course, the most traumatic sport in high school. Yeah. Uh, But when we played, there was only one ball. You didn't give, like, five people a ball. That's that's crazy dodgeball. Did you have high school? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe I did. But uh, down south, we play it with one ball. Yeah, no, I've never played it without several. Yeah, we... Wow. uh, Maybe it's just a different time. Maybe I went to a ghetto school. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, but, but yeah, this this dodgeball, Xander throws it way too hard at Willow. They kind of share a little bit of a glare off. Yeah, you don't be hitting my girlfriend with a dodgeball <laughs> that hard. <laughs> and, you know, it's dodgeball. So you expect people to throw balls at each other. I don't know if she thought maybe, well, he's not going to hit me because he's my friend. Or what she was thinking. But they get, she seems pretty upset. And he seems just out of it. He hit her entirely too hard. That's what's wrong. Yeah. That sounds just kind of high school drama there. <laughs> it's like, Buffy, I don't know what's wrong. Xander hit me really hard with a dodgeball during dodgeball. Yeah, but it ends up, in the end, with just Buffy versus the pack and Lance, who's kind of the surrogate member of the pack. And this, instead of attacking her, they decide to turn on Lance and just wail on him with dodgeballs, including Xander. And that's where the scene gets really quiet. And they just silently... Throw dodgeballs. <laughs> and that actually does mirror hyena's actual behavior because they will attack their own member before attacking a stronger opponent. Wow. Cool. Yeah, you know entirely <laughs> too much about hyenas. <laughs> but, uh, Who Buffy, wrote this episode? You must, it's because you're from the Lion King generation. I think that's the problem. This was <laughs> Matt Keen and Joe Rinkemeyer, right? It was. They had two writers, believe it or not. Oh, God. Well, these people... Uh, I'm not even a little happy that they got some of their hyena lore right. That does not... I was like, wow, that's good <laughs> for you. How could the show be that bad with two writers? Did they get fired? <laughs> I don't know if they did write another one. I can't think of one off the top of my head. 
I do like the gym teacher's line, God, this game is brutal. I love it. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Buffy helps the guy up. Xander and the pack stock off. Later, Willow confronts Xander in the hall where he... I don't know what he really does. He tells her that he has feelings for her and they're changing and he's kind of setting her up and then knocking her down. And then he says, well, I'm dropping geometry, so I won't need math help anymore. So I won't need to look at your pasty face anymore. And then they start cackling and she runs away. And he Yeah, that's not the... pasty. That's porcelain, buddy. <laughs> he has the weirdest laugh, like a George R. R. Martin laugh. It's kind of hyena-like, I guess. Fun fact, uh, One Sick Puppy actually used that pasty line as a pickup line throughout high school as well. I got nothing. I'm sorry. I got lost. <laughs> I was going to continue, but then I got lost. Okay. Willow storms off. Buffy asks, well, do you have anything to say to me? And they just cackle some more, like monkeys more than hyenas, and saunter off. Uh, Xander in the pack outside smelled... Well, Xander says he smells dogs, and this is what bothers me. Because <laughs> yeah, I wrote this down too. We find out later it's hot dogs, which is yeah. not dog. <laughs> but yeah, I thought I was looking for a pack of dogs, and I, <laughs> and I do it every time too, because I'm like, are they going to walk off and actually see? Because I imagine as this show unfolds, that it will be a very rare instance in which you actually see a live animal on set. <laughs> you know, I'm completely speculating about that at this point, but uh, it, it seems kind of odd. But uh, we do come across the hero of the show, really. Adam, our, our long-haired extra, <laughs> who I've renamed Hot Dog Hero. <laughs> oh, that's, that's brilliant. And, uh, you should he's... edit his, his wiki page. <laughs> he's that guy, uh, we talked about him last episode before you got here, One Sick Puppy, and he was in episode two. Uh, he's the overacting stoner guy that, when Cordelia's telling her story of the bronze, and he's like, Buffy who? And uh, he's fun. He's actually our picture. Our picture for the episode notes. Uh, if you check hhwlod.com, he's the picture I use. <laughs> he's a very entertaining, bad overactor. And he's my hero. But, uh, yeah, they, they come, they start stealing his hot dogs while he's trying to talk oh. to them. Well, they're talking, uh, as they come up, they're talking, and I I didn't go back and uh, verify the name, but he, he says, have you heard uh, Wretched Refuse? Is that the name of the band he mentions? I think and so. And says, uh, have you heard the guitarist? But who dropped the ball on this? Would not, have you heard of Dingo's Ate My Baby? Would that <laughs> not have been a better joke for the hyena episode? Right? Yeah. Wow. And that joke has uh, been made, but it was in the, the pilot episode, which they didn't even air, and that joke was cut, so they really could have reused it. Wow. It, it really bugs me when they say that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they steal the hot dogs, decide it's not good enough because it's overcooked, and uh, they... One bully, when they're walking away, I think it was Kyle, walks across the table over their food. Man, that's not cool. <laughs> And it was Tor. Yeah, did he do a vertical jump on top up to that table, or did he step up from the side? I don't Cause, know. Cause it looked like he just levitated up to the top of the table. I was <laughs> like, white man can jump. <laughs> but uh, Xander and the pack break into the art room, decide to eat little Herb. And they eat the pig! And I'm not going to count this as a death count. That's an other. That's I don't know other. if I'm going to count it. Not that I have anything about animal deaths, but they eat food in this show, so where does it end? But they ate a living animal. All right. I'll count as another. That's another death count one. 
Also, because if we don't count Herbert the pig, then I'm pretty sure our praying mantis monster will be the only creature to ever be in the other category. (laughs) But uh, Xander and the gang, after the commercial break, are walking across the courtyard in slow motion to the song or to the band Far, which is actually such a badass action shot. And Xander's so cool in this episode. Did you know he's actually uh, Nicky Brendan was the original choice to play Mal Reynolds, and I really got that in this scene. Just, uh, he's, he's got the, he's got swagger that is unbefitting of Xander. <laughs> to play who? Mal Reynolds. Malcolm Reynolds from uh, Firefly, Serenity. Nathan Fillion's character. I know, right? He was not. He that was, was never going to happen. No uh, way. He was a really dark character, too. They ended up rewriting him, but we'll touch on that once we get to Firefly. But yeah, this scene is a good minute and a half, and that doesn't sound too long unless you're actually sitting there watching it, and you're like, they're just walking in slow motion. They circle Lance for a bit, he gets pulled off, and they're just still just walking in slow motion. <laughs> I don't really think it's slow motion. I think they're tired from having changed their clothes and makeup after <laughs> they ate the pig. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 probably it. And we have to really Because if you neat. notice, all their clothes are brown now. They're really <laughs> so. neat. Well, I guess, no, maybe they're messy, and so then they had to change because they got blood all over them. Hey, there we go. Theoretically, but did they all just happen to bring brown clothes to school in case (laughs) they needed to change after eating a pig? (laughs) They planned it out that way. Hyenas, brown. But uh, we cut to Willow and Buffy in the courtyard discussing Xander's late behavior. Willow's crying, and this is only six episodes in, so props to Allison Hannigan for actually putting some tears in her eyes. If you watch this episode, though, and I'm I'm a total whore for Willow, but her acting in this episode, there's some really good acting choices, so to speak. She, um, the, the one in particular that hasn't quite come up yet, but she's uh, there's a couple of times where she flips back and forth and and actually brings the chops. Yeah, yeah. Like, and considering she wasn't their first pick, as we've already discussed, they got pretty good. I don't know if they like went through a grueling casting process after that, or if they just really they we need this cast and they pick somebody and they got really lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but if they if that's what happened, they got super lucky. They made a good choice. They did. She's so, probably the only good actress in this episode. So <laughs> <laughs> Buffy sure something weirds up, so she goes to talk to Giles, who's her expert on weird. He repeats back the symptoms that she lists and then concludes it's devastating. He's turned into a sixteen-year-old boy. Of course, you'll have to kill him. <laughs> Yeah, I love when Giles jokes. It feels so out of place, but it's that's why I love it because it just makes me laugh unexpectedly. Yeah, and then Buffy claims that Giles is trying to scully her. X Files reference, which I never watched, but there's comparisons. I suppose. What? You Josh never watched the X Files? I've caught bits here and there, but I didn't sit down and watch it. Uh, I'm sorry. I saw an X Files panel. At an expo, I was waiting for Eliza Dushku to get on stage, so I sat. You haven't whole watched expo. it either. I I'd see probably more than Mr. Universe, but less than. I am not hanging out with you guys anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we promised that maybe one day we'll watch some X Files. It's weird because we're like obsessed with Joss Whedon, and he's a big X Files fan. So I feel we should have to please our master. <laughs> you should. You definitely should. But uh, Giles. Tells Buffy that boys are mean, they prey on the weak, it's typical teenager behavior pattern, but of course, as we know from Teacher's Pet, Buffy has heard this before, she's done her research, and he can't just be a normal boy, he has to be a giant bug. 
testosterone so, is the great equalizer. That's <laughs> what I love about that little speech. <laughs> she comes to the dumb conclusion, there's that word again in my notes, that Xander is becoming a hyena. She has no reason to assume that. People in the show jump to conclusions all the time, and then they're right. And well, she has to, because she never does any research. <laughs> but Giles is trying not to laugh at her suggestion, and I think that's pretty funny. But Willow busts in, they found Herbert dead, and we cut to Flutie confronting the gang, which is his first pick for if somebody was going to eat a pig, <laughs> that's who I guess he decides did it. <laughs> so uh, one thing that I find is weird is Xander is kind of the leader of the pack here. But, <laughs> yeah, I guess I know a bit too much about hyenas, too. Traditionally, the leader of hyena packs are female. Yeah, and, yeah, I did see that. And so Xander so, is... Uh, so they so they kind of pick and choose what random hyena facts they're going to include in this episode. And it does feel a bit ironic that such a feminist show swaps, you know, the female character for a male. Yeah, but I, well, really I guess that don't just think... proves your point that Josh didn't write this episode. <laughs> I don't think a lot of malice went into that decision, though. <laughs> no, but uh, Flutie tells the gang that Herbert's missing. They ask, how is Herbert? And one very subtly responds, crunchy. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> you just admit to, you are human beings, you are high schoolers, and you just admitted to eating a pig for no reason, a live you ate the school mascot. <laughs> that was a pretty small pig, too, for five people to eat. Yeah. They must and have just split it. It's not even like they ate a rival school's mascot. <laughs> yeah. They ate their own school mascot. Though eating a rival school's mascot is not okay, and I don't condone that either. <laughs> I never did it in high school once. But I promise. Buffy notes later in the library that in the Bible, Noah rejected hyenas from the ark for being an unholy mix between cats and dogs. I have no idea if that's accurate. It doesn't sound right to me. I have not heard that myself, and I actually <laughs> used to go to church once upon a time. Yeah, it doesn't... Yeah, it sounds weird. It sounds a bit... You know, why? <laughs> What's wrong with hyenas? Uh, Giles consults his text and confirms the that they may, may be possessed by hyenas. No, he consults that actually later. Um... Buffy goes to investigate Herbert, but runs into Xander, tackles him, and we got some weird pacing here, because it's cutting between Flutie interrogating the kids and Buffy and Xander, and it's not paced very well. It's kind of choppy. So Yeah, that's uh, definitely true. Back to the scene with Giles in the library. Have either of you read uh, Dante's Inferno? No, not completely. The illustration that they are showing of what will happen to them if they remain in hyena form is just a picture from Dante's Inferno. I heard that, yeah. It's yeah, the... I saw that on the internet, and I couldn't find out uh, which gate it was from, and I was just didn't want to flip through the entire book trying to find the picture. But yeah, it's from Inferno. It's from well, it's from his uh, yeah that one specifically because he's I don't remember. There's like the heaven one and the purgatory one. It's from the hell one. <laughs> Um, and yeah, the pacing here, we got Flutie accusing kids of being on drugs as they circle him, and then Xander giving a really rapey vibe towards Buffy. Yeah. That's exactly what I wrote down, and that's this is the absolute ultimate in what is wrong with this episode. There's <laughs> no way that Xander, if there was even a sliver of Xander left in there to fight this, would he get rapey? There's just no way. And it's... It, 
they took it too far. It seems like every time they do something with Xander, it goes too far over the math thing and over the, you know, mounting Buffy and it's just slamming her around and brutalizing her. It's just, you know, Slayer or not, she's still a woman. There's there's still a line there. And I yeah. just I feel like Xander crosses they just they weren't thinking about the character at this point. Also, uh, drawing parallels back to Teacher's Pet, because I do find them similar episodes in a lot of ways, um, these two episodes are undoubtedly going to be our, our lowest rated of the season. But both of them, this isn't the reason they're low rated, but both of them gloss over the idea of rape. Yeah. Just yeah. absolutely just, uh, you know, oh, it's just rape. You know, it's this is a very feminist show, and I guess it hasn't completely fallen into its... Uh, it's feminist voice yet, but yeah, these episodes are just so against the grain of what the show is trying to do. But teacher's pet doesn't that get that's male rape, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's different. Yeah, and that well, it's not that, different, but yeah, but that's funny. <laughs> yeah, according to yeah the general public, really. No, mm-hmm. but I, I mean in in the context of the episode, this this episode it's not funny. No, the way not. they. They present it in uh, Teacher's Pet, you know, as if if it's what I'm thinking of. They're actually it's it's a joke. I I appreciate that. More yeah, it yeah. is a joke in that episode. Xander seems we noted that Xander actually seemed into it. Also, uh, one thing that's that's interesting is Nicholas Brendan plays a rapist in private practice. So that's a strange thing to almost get typecast into. I wouldn't go that far, but I know what you mean. Yeah, too. It's I. I wouldn't be happy knowing that, you know, more than once on screen, I've tried to rape someone. Yeah. That, I mean, why? Why does this role fall to me? But uh, he seems stronger than Buffy in this scene. I feel, which I don't know if it's hyena strength or she does seem to have very variable Slayer strength, as I've pointed out in the past. Yeah. But uh, back in the office, Pax being real grabby and animalistic. They scratch Flutie up before jumping on him, and we don't see what happens as of quite yet. I wrote, dumb, claw, dumb. But Jesus Christ, that, like, she just claws him and tears open his face. There's blood everywhere. She just scratches him with human being nails. <laughs> yeah, when he's, he displays a good bit of attitude, more so in this episode than anything else. Yeah. And it just seems like... When they surround him and start pinning him up against the the wall, you know, at some point there's an elbow to the face of one of these kids at least. You know, your your disciplinarian responsibilities go out the window. Yeah. I'm gonna try to defend myself at least will a little. Stay after school. Yeah, but uh, the camera focuses as supposedly he's getting eaten. A uh, picture of himself on the desk, which I assume he has for narcissistic reasons. <laughs> Or in case people like go to his office, he's not there. They want to see I what he looks it's like. An intimidation <laughs> tactic. I'm watching. He's you. proud of his family. <laughs> it's just him. Is that his family? <laughs> oh, I thought his wife was in it, wasn't she? No, it's just him. I think. But one of the kids, I think Tor. Anyway, the guy is freaking dying, man. Give him a break. <laughs> one of the guys. He's, he's in his death throes, and you're standing there just watching, making fun of him. Come on. <laughs> yeah, one of the kids leaps onto him, and it's weird because you can see it's very clearly actually Ken Lerner toppling backwards in this chair. Yeah, so, apparently uh, hyenas like to mount things. <laughs> but I'm not surprised he did his own stunts. It's not like it's a difficult stunt. 
But after this, we cut to stock footage of what's supposed to be hyenas sharing a chunk of meat, but it's actually African wild dogs, not the same thing. Specifically, they're African Cape wild dogs, yeah. Um, They look like hyenas to me. They do look like hyenas, but they're not. They're just dogs. So uh, there's the dogs in this episode. There we go. And Buffy drags an unconscious Xander in. They lock him in the cage that usually is used for restricted books. And Buffy makes a reference that in his animal state, his idea of wooing doesn't exactly involve a Yanni CD and a bottle of Chianti. And Yanni's a, a keyboard composer, if, you, if you're not aware. And Chianti's a, a drink, really a bad beverage. one. <laughs> yeah, very new agey. Yeah. Try to think of... There's one song in particular, but it's not coming to mind. No, I don't know. But Giles comes in, tells him that Flutie's dead. So there's an official human death count of one. Poor Flutie. And Clairvoyant, how do you feel about all this? Because I know you really enjoyed the character. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) This episode, at this point, I'm done with the episode. And I'm like, oh, there's Flutie. Uh, Like this... I was drained at this point. So I'm like, I'll feel this next episode. I'll feel this when the new principal comes in. I don't, uh, I was too dumb. I think it was pretty daring though, that they actually ate him. Yeah. And it's supposed to be somewhat upsetting as a scene. I didn't feel it. Probably it's either due to the way he died, (laughs) like being eaten alive by students possessed by hyenas or just the whole episode as a whole, like you said, just dragging me down, <laughs> making me or, like, a, I don't care. <laughs> it's hard to feel bad when either Willow or Buffy is the line, they ate him. Ate him up. That's Willow. Or That's one of my right favorite there. things that Willow ever says in the show. Ate him up. It's so <laughs> cute. It's just... <laughs> yeah, it's really... Yeah, cute is a good way to put it. Yeah. And the theory is that wild dogs got into his office. Oh! <laughs> but at Cape least, wild dogs. Yeah. At least Xander wasn't there. There's... Yeah, that's a little foreshadowing right there that we can't really go into. But I, I really like that detail that the, the theory is that wild dogs got into his office. Yeah. And so Buffy asked Giles about transpossession. Now, I'd call it exorcism. I'd ask for exorcism before transpossession. But I guess she probably knows a little bit more than me. And no, she jumps to wild conclusions. <laughs> so Giles consults his text, which is the Malleus Mal- Maleficarum. Maleficarum. Go eBay it. You can actually buy yeah, if it's I an can, actual book. Yeah, if I can interject here, this book is actually uh, Hammer of Witches or Hammer of the Witches, and it's a, a text that was actually written on uh, witch hunting and signs of uh, how to uh, identify a witch and whatnot. It really doesn't have anything to do with demonic possession. No. And I've got a English translation I can send you guys in a PDF if you want it. But uh, I think that the difference between transpossession and uh, demon possession is that the transpossession is across uh, species as opposed to being possessed by a demon. Uh, it's not actually a supernatural entity entering your body. I think it's the, the spirit of something else uh, entering your, your sharing with something that's not supernatural. So I and, think that's where the trans possession comes in. Okay. And I think that's what makes this episode a little weirder, knowing that it's not something supernatural per se. This is not a hyena demon possessing Xander. This is a hyena possessing Xander. A special rare breed, though. But, yeah, that's pretty strange to me. And Buffy leaves Willow. Or, well, actually, they'd ask first. 
if they can transfer the possession to another person instead of, you know, eradicating it. Which, if that's the only option, I guess you gotta do what you gotta do. It doesn't sound like a good option, though. Then you could just kill that other person. Transfer it to someone you don't care about. But, uh, yeah, Buffy leaves Willow behind as her and Giles decide to go good cop, bad cop, this zookeeper. Who do you think would be the good cop, actually? Giles? Or do you think he could pay, like, a convincing bad cop? She totally could. No, at this point, no, he could not. I don't know. We we mentioned in Witch how he kind of kicks open Amy's door and like freaks out on her mom. So I maybe if we're talking about that scene, but I guess Buffy was kind of comatose, basically. Yeah, if if Buffy's in danger, he can be a bad cop. But in this case, it's Xander in danger, and Giles and Xander really don't interact at all. So that's fair. So. Meanwhile, outside, a girl finds these students sleeping in a pack outside because they don't have parents or homes to go to. <laughs> yeah, they're just sleeping on the lawn. But uh, she's got a baby on her back. And the one, I think his name is Tor, starts salivating and actually drooling down his face. Yeah. Really gross. And I thought it was strange that they just gave up and went back to sleep just because she backed up. Right, that's what I was thinking. I was like, how they let so many people go in this episode, like Lance at the beginning. You know, they just if they walk take a couple steps too far out of their range, they're like, Oh <laughs> too too much effort now. <laughs> but I guess they're full for meeting the principal though. I guess so. And, I didn't think about that till just now. But uh Xander wakes up in his cage, he tries to sweet talk himself out of it. And it's a really almost touching conversation between him and Willow. Where he's like, I know I'm sick. I don't want to wait for Buffy to have to save me. You know, we can save me. And kind of talks about how him and Willow belong together. They've always been together. And it's almost like a sweet conversation. It's got some nice orchestra music. Uh, but then he, when she gets too close, he tries to grab her. And she dodges because Willow ain't nobody's fool. Yeah, that's that's that really good acting I was talking about earlier. Is where she goes from being all engrossed in what he's saying with the big doe eyes, and then all of a sudden she steps back and she's like, "Now I know what you're doing, you fool." <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I thought Nikki did great in the scene too. He was he he, uh, he 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 has proven himself as a good actor. Uh, I found even though he's supposed to be just the you know dorky high school kid, especially in this episode, he does he does bring it to the table. Uh, one thing that I thought about the scene though is when he's talking about you know it's always just been me and you Willow, and I'm kind of saying and Jesse, and but you know they, of course he's redacted now. They can't ever mention him again. Yeah. Despite being BFFFL, Jesse apparently never existed anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, Nicky Brendan screams and freaks out and rattles the cage in the scene too. So he does do pretty good too. Um, now we cut to Buffy and Giles talking to the zookeeper. He talks about how he doesn't know how this could have all happened, but if you pay attention, the thing that caught my eye in this scene, I almost didn't even pay attention to the dialogue. The set is the school highway, the school hallway, but decorated with like tribal bones and like paintings of animals and stuff. <laughs> The budget was yeah, I think in the, non-existent. Yeah, I think in season one, they only had one set. Yeah. It just it was so noticeable. They didn't really try too hard to cover it up. But there's another scene in, in that as well that's really poorly edited. Because if you look over, you're looking over the shoulder of the zookeeper, and he is talking a mile a minute, and there's, there's no dialogue. <laughs> I didn't notice that. Yeah, it's it's really bad. He's he must say like thirty or forty words, you know, from behind him, but his voice is not on the film at all. 
and I don't know. They tell him that, you know, he's probably possessed by hyenas. He buys it pretty readily. You know, he's not like, that's weird. He's like, okay, well, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> I don't yeah, know and then all of a sudden he becomes go-to guy. He knows everything about everything that's going on. He's, he's like, oh, really? Deals. That's, that's, yeah. He's a Sunnydale zookeeper. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's a Sunnydale thing that he, like, they just believe it so easily or if it's you know, a zookeeper same. thing. Yeah. But, uh, uh, does he agrees to help them, but he tells them, you got to bring Xander here. The other ones will follow where he is. And then that's when Buffy gets worried about Willow and they decide to head back. And meanwhile, the other hyenas show up and they're calling Willow's name, which, as I said before, is that the direct reference to the story that the zookeeper tells them, which is not actually hyenas, it's the Krakata. But I did think it was a cool callback to, you know, what seemed like just interesting, useless lore earlier in the episode. Uh, you know, I liked the callback of calling her name to try and separate her. Though, that's, you know, of course, not actual a thing that hyenas do. Uh, but Willow. They break in through the window, feet first somehow. Like, they're, I don't know. They're When they're looking in the window, it's face first, and they must swing in with their feet. And, and guess what starts up again? The tribal music. The jungle beat. <laughs> I don't remember this jungle beat you guys are talking about. Now, next time I watch this show, as if I don't hate it enough, that's going to stand out, and I'm going to hate it even more. Yeah, my notes actually say, it's more jungle music. No more tribal music, please, Walter Movie. God. <laughs> but, uh... Yeah, they break in, they peel apart the cage like it's paper, which is another thing that they do really easy in this show. Yeah, uh, and it makes me wonder, why wasn't he trying to get out? Why was he just standing around watching her instead of trying to kick the door down? Yeah, but uh, Willow books it down the hall, and the pack splits up to find Willow, which is not really accurate hyena behavior, if, I, if I'm correct. I figured they hunt in packs. At least that's what Lion King told me. Yep, see, there you go. <laughs> and... She's hiding under a desk in, I believe, the geography classroom because there's a globe and some maps. And she is not only hiding under the desk, she also turns invisible. <laughs> and uh, Xander That's finds her. Scent. Yeah. Xander finds her, eventually, I think. Uh, Xander. But Buffy and Giles fight off the humaninos. And Buffy chases. Or sends them to the zoo while she chases the rest back, or leads them back, rather. How long did it take you to come up with a human he is? Uh, well, originally it said human hyenas, and I'm like, that doesn't make any sense, so I took out the Y. It didn't make it better. <laughs> nope. Uh, no, but what I was saying was, Willow hides underneath that desk, and there's a good, like, six or eight inches under the desk, but when he walks in looking for her, she's not under the desk. So she turns invisible. It's a Sunnydale thing. That's pretty much my answer for every inconsistency. <laughs> she's it's not the first Sunnydale. She's the first but not the last Sunnydale student to turn invisible. There we go. And we cut to a family outside coming back from some sort of get-together, it seems like. Uh, and they're feeding their kids some late-night ice cream, reminding him to chew his ice cream or he'll choke. <laughs> now, this, no, is a family, this is a family that deserves to be eaten by hyenas. <laughs> yeah, they're a kid. Well, I, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably... Look at his parents. He probably... I don't know. <laughs> but they're, like, arguing about... It's like, I didn't say she looks better than you. I said she looks better. That's not what I heard. And just, oh. And they lost the keys somehow. 
But uh, I, I think the kids took the keys so they couldn't leave. <laughs> He's like, they're going to give me more ice cream if we stay back. No, 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 the hyenas. Okay, those <laughs> kids. I thought you meant the kid yeah. in the back seat. But, you know, with parents like that, you gotta you got to mess with them every once in a while. Keep them on their toes. <laughs> but no, I, that's the vibe I got, too. I feel like the hyenas took the keys somehow while they were inside because they must keep their keys in the car. And it gets attacked by the hyenas while Xander breaks in the windows. Uh, Buffy hunt, uh, fights them off and lures them away. And we got to Willow and Giles at the zoo trying to find the zookeeper. Also, it's funny, because earlier they enforced the idea that hyenas will go towards the weaker target, yet they're at the weaker target, and then Buffy lures them away. Yeah, I don't know. I noticed that, too. Also, yeah, but he uh, really wants Buffy. I guess so. <laughs> yeah, they're not okay. It's a revenge thing by now. Uh, and we go, Giles is entering the hyena exhibit. The zookeeper shows up with the stupidest tribal face paint it's right over his beard oh no, i love that i wrote down very cool makeup that's uh, that's one of the things i actually like about this episode i feel like it would be cool if he shaved no i think it's awesome that they did it over the beard because <laughs> every time he opens his mouth you can just see it <laughs> and he's still wearing he's his glasses to too. suck all the joy out of this episode <laughs> and seeing that uh just makes me like it reminds me i think of that that walmart janitor and just think of him in face paint and uh why that would be awesome <laughs> but uh giles and also i'm oh, sorry go ahead i was wondering i didn't bother looking it up but are the Masai people real is that an actual yes. race of people is it yes it is is that actual ritual attire <laughs> that that i don't know <laughs> but I, I i did uh look them up on wikipedia and they are an actual african society he's got his microsoft paint blue uh robe and I say that because when you open up Microsoft Paint and choose a blue, that's the one you're going to go with. And it's just uh, kind of almost a blue skull makeup, which, hey, if it was somebody else, I wouldn't mind it. But once again, the beard. <laughs> but, yeah, Giles notices they're on a ceremonial circle, and he figures out that the zookeeper wanted the power all for himself. So he goes to make a run for it, but gets knocked out with two weak blows with a stick. Not to the head, even. Like, one's in the stomach, one's on the back, and then he's unconscious. Poor Giles. Already he's been beat up more than any other protagonist in the show, including Buffy. Yeah, yeah that's something else I'd like to discuss that uh, we're going to touch on at a later date. <laughs> but uh, Willow hears Buffy coming, so she heads in. And due to the lack of real hyenas, they use kind of hyena shadows in the background of this scene. <laughs> I feel that uh, making the, the warden the villain was not even a good twist. Like it was, and it wasn't even like well handled. It's just like Giles was like, "Oh, wait, wait a minute," and then he was the villain. <laughs> yeah, and she... yeah. Everybody's intelligence kind of fluctuates in this episode, as and Willow does right there as well. Because all of a sudden she comes in and she's like, "Here they come!" And here, just go ahead and tie me up. It's no problem. And then all of a sudden she knows it's a trap. <laughs> And it's, you know, they, they go back and forth. It's not just real stellar writing, so. Oh, you're going to pretend to slit my throat. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> yeah, like, she doesn't look worried by that line at all. No. Uh, but the zookeeper, or rather, Willow warns Buffy it's a trap. She runs in, warns her it's a trap a little bit too late, makes her pause for thought. The hyenas get her, hyena people. And the zookeeper shouts something in not English. I couldn't figure out what it was. And the pack... 
all transpossesses into him with their green glowing eyes. <laughs> so does he have the power of five hyenas, do you think? Or is it like... I don't know, that'd be oh, pretty awesome, though. There's <laughs> one hyena that possessed five people, though. I guess. Maybe it divvied up between all of them. They were a fifth of a hyena. <laughs> but, man, I noticed... Once again, I wrote it down so many times, but in this scene, his mustache looks so dumb when he's screaming and there's paint all over it. I like that! His predatory act that supposedly involves slitting Willow's throat, he didn't even do it. He no, said he, he was implied, about to chew on her face. He implied... <laughs> yeah, he's going to bite her ear. But he implied that he's going to do it, and then he didn't do it. He didn't even go through with it. Why would he imply to her that, oh, yeah, something like that, and then, oh, no, actually, by the way, you were right. I'm going to pretend to slit your throat. He's faking her out. And then, yeah, you said face, you said ear. I wrote down that he was taking a bite over her temple. I so, thought it was going to be her cheek, but once he gets the spirit of the hyena, you know, he doesn't want to use the knife anymore. So, you know, they don't understand how to use tools. tools. <laughs> See, seeing him try to take a bite out of Willow makes me really think back to the scene about Flutie and, like, how difficult that may have been if they were trying to devour him the same way that the warden tries to devour Willow. If they're omnivore like, I, I imagine <laughs> they probably clawed him up and stuff, but he just was going all teeth. They must have gotten better at it because they didn't have to change clothes after they ate the principal. Yeah, I and guess they, so. They changed after they ate the pig, but not the principal. <laughs> but, uh... He goes to take a bite out of Willow. Buffy, or Xander, wrestles him down. Buffy takes over, tosses him right into the hyena cage where he gets eaten alive by his pack, which is a human death count of two for the episode. And also very reminiscent of Lion King. <laughs> yeah. And so Giles shows up unconscious. Did I miss anything? End of the scene, and we're back at school. Xander doesn't remember what happened. He jokes about how he's going to be vegetarian from now on. Um, and they discuss how Vice Principal's taking over. I'm just kind of, you know, cap the episode. They just kind of discuss, they overview it, and what's going to happen from now on. And let's let's talk about Buffy's outfit at the end of the show. <laughs> I didn't notice. What the hell is she wearing? She's got like a, a black skull cap on, and a oh, black yeah. t-shirt, she, and right. like a Japanese mini skirt that's pink. It's totally, it, it goes back and forth between LA and normal people clothes. I don't know. It's really yeah, strange. Yeah, I just made note of the skull cap, yeah. Yeah, I, wow, I didn't write that down, but now that I think about it, I can remember it vividly. Yeah, her skirt is really weird. Might have nightmares. And, and that's what three men should be sitting around talking about on a Buffy podcast. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they decide to head to class. Giles stops Xander and says, hey, there's no record of post-possession memory loss. And then, did you tell them? He says, your secret will die with me. And then, Yeah, that was, that was cool. That <laughs> just makes you love Giles a little more. Yeah, I agree. But, and it ends with the stupid flute sting. Yeah, it ends with an embarrassed Xander walking away to tribal music. And if that sentence didn't sum up how bad this episode was, then let me repeat it. The episode ends with an embarrassed Xander walking away to tribal music. <laughs> yeah, that's just... um, This is the second episode in the series that has no vampires whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, just like Witch, except I wouldn't compare it to that episode because that episode was pretty good. Yeah, and one thing that... Uh, a little follow-up to this episode... Um, there's a Sunnydale High yearbook that you can actually purchase. It's a little supplementary item. And uh, if you look up Heidi in it, 
Uh, it says, you know, Heidi nicknames Hi Ho Didi, but it also states that uh, after being possessed by hyenas, she became a vegan. <laughs> it says so that in the yearbook. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I'm... that's our follow up to. That's I mean that's no one else had anything of interest, but that's where their full names are listed. Yeah, I don't have the yearbook. I've got the watchers, guys. Hey, but yeah, they have free reign to do anything in this show, anything that they want. And so far, we're six episodes in. They've done mantises and hyenas. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. seems kind of like this would be, you know, maybe third or fourth season stuff. You know, we've got 20-something episodes to fill. You know, I, I'm going out of town for the weekend. I can't really think of anything. Hyenas, that's, that'll work. You know, <laughs> for the very first season where you've been sitting on this idea and you've been trying to get the show made, is that really what they pitched in the very first, you know, selling of the show? Is yeah, Hyenas, I think. Yeah, that's that's good. And the network was so excited by the idea that they were on a hellmouth, so anything could happen. So look at their first few episodes. Vampires, vampires. That makes sense. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So first episode, vampires. Second episode, vampires. Third episode, a witch. That's cool. Fourth episode is the mantis. Fifth episode, vampires. Sixth episode, hyenas. <laughs> yeah. So they could do anything, and the only thing that wasn't vampires or absolutely an awful idea was a witch. That's... Well, now that you say it like that, it it makes me think maybe they said, okay, we've had vampires, now we got to do witches, and next the logical thing is werewolves. Uh, that's kind of typical, so maybe we'll go hyenas <laughs> instead of werewolves. Yeah, that makes me appreciate the episode a little more that it was just a failed attempt at a subversion of the werewolf trope. That could be. That could be. Or that's, that's what version. I'm going with. But uh, I think it's time right now we're going to do our stakes rating. And a little bit of backstory on the stake rating and what it means for the show. Uh, for my rating, Mr. Universe's rating, and the Clairvoyance rating, they are all tallying up at the end of each Buffy season or Angel season or whatever show. We do a bit of a discussion about the aver our averages, all that, and we'll give you all the averages. So our numbers all factor into that. So one sec, Poppy, your rating won't be factored into the official podcast rating, but I still want to hear it. I want to see what you gave this episode. So let's start off with you. One sec, Poppy, what did you, out of five stakes, what would you give the pack? Out of five stakes, I give this one toothpick. <laughs> I hate this episode. I hate that Xander is rapey. I hate that he's mean to Willow on multiple occasions. I don't even think this deserves a stake, so I'm going to give it a sliver of a stake. All right. That's fair. And Clairvoyant, how about you? Um, originally in my notes I wrote 1.5, and then upon review I don't know why I wrote that, and I'm giving it 1. one Making it the lowest rated episode so far that I have given. And I gave it 1 stake as well, and that's the lowest for me as well. It's just as bad as Teacher's Pet. It's got a lot of similarities, but minus the funny bits that Teacher's Pet actually had. So, yeah, I can definitely confidently say that this is one of the worst episodes in the season if not the show this series yeah it's well, the worst to this point yeah it definitely. is the worst to this point and it will always stand out as one of the low points of the series uh you know if you're trying to find your beat your feet your beat your tribal beat this is not the way to do it <laughs> it's it's sad though because when they released the greatest hits 
DVDs of each character. This one goes on Xander's. Yeah. And it just, it's really sad to me. And I find it just mind boggling that chicks dig it. It just, I'd never even entertain that as a possibility. It's just, he's such a jerk in this episode. I agree. He's thinking Xander's greatest hits, like Dirty Girls, The Zeppo, The Pack. (laughs) Yeah, not The Pack. But uh, once again, Poppy, thank you very much for joining us and helping us pick apart this awful episode. We actually, as you mentioned earlier, we specifically picked this episode for you to come on because I knew how much you hated it. Yeah, I, I could have been a lot funnier if you guys would have made me watch my language. But, uh, <laughs> you uh, know. You're from the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, so why don't, you, why don't you give that a little plug, tell everybody why they should be listening to that instead of this. Because we don't talk about crap like the pack. But, uh, <laughs> no, we actually do. Uh, and we're fast approaching our one-year anniversary at Dead as Hell. And uh, I'm very excited about that. And it seems as though we're actually going to have a spinoff podcast very shortly uh, where we're going to uh, concentrate completely on a movie that we reviewed briefly uh, <laughs> on the show called uh, Ice from the Sun. And uh, it's we we felt like it deserved so much attention that uh, we're going to devote an entire podcast to that, and that's going to have uh, the clairvoyant and uh, Shani Dreadful from our show on it, I think. And uh, I haven't actually even told her about that, so uh, Chantel, <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. Actually, that yeah, was actually my uh, idea. breaking news. And uh, then. If you want to check out the podcast, we're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, you can go to deadashellhp.com, and you can uh, follow us at Twitter, at deadashellhp, and uh, the same on Facebook, facebook.com slash deadashellhp. But we talk about horror movies, news, comics, anime, uh, just about anything, and I'm trying really hard to figure out a way to get metal in there, because I just feel like we ought to have some uh, some music reviews, but I haven't quite worked up to that yet, but we've got uh, uh, some really good content, I think, and some good stuff coming up in 2015, and we have uh, some good uh, guest hosts every once in a while, so check us out, please. Yeah, and you come out the 10th, 20th, and you're the last day of the month, right? Yeah, that's something new we're doing for 2015. So if uh, if you're looking for a new episode, it's going to drop on the tens. And I don't mean to plug myself on my own podcast, but if you listen to the January 10th episode, I hear there's a really special guest. Yeah. Yes, was, there's a very special called, guest. The episode's called Eden Log 2007 Revival, Tourista 2006, and Army of Darkness Special 1992.1. Uh, and yeah, there is a special guest that some of you may recognize. <laughs> yeah, it was it was really good. It was the first time we had somebody that was mentally handicapped on the show, so I thought he did really well. <laughs> but we're an equal opportunity horror podcast. Weedenverse podcast rating, one out of five stakes. Join us next episode where we'll discuss Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Season 1, Episode 7, Angel, and Episode 8, iRobot Eugene, with special guest host Meg Griffin from Outlandish Conversations and Mindian's Minute. Wait until next week? 
In the meantime, check out the Dead as Hell Horror Podcast, reviewing everything about horror on TangentBoundNetwork.com. All programs, productions, characters, music, and stories discussed in this non-profit podcast belong to Joss Whedon and or their respective networks. All music, clips, and discussion used is either original, royalty-free, or released under Creative Commons designation CCBYNCSA. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.